Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Deal. I'm your host, Danny Brown. Please subscribe to our channel on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you consume your content. Leave us a comment. Tell a few people you know. We've been growing and expanding, and every every comment and every five-star review helps us tremendously. So this is where we break down every week top real estate agents and executives, what makes them tick, what's the key to success, what's their blueprint. This week's guest Special guest Scott Gibson, Managing Director at Compass in Southern California. He was the founder of Gibson Realty that was acquired by by, uh, Compass. Uh, He started in the business uh, in the 70s and 80s, an L.A. Southern California guy, uh, got into management, ran Colwell Banker for many years when they were at the height uh, of of their time, over 25,000 agents he managed. Uh, anyways, we drop a lot of knowledge here, and he gets into some legends in the business that he's worked with. There's so much to learn here and, and so much to dig into, so I hope you enjoy this. School is in session. Welcome back to The Deal. I'm your host, Danny Brown. Today, we have a very special guest, Scott Gibson. Welcome to the show, Scott. I've been uh, looking forward to having this chat with you. Uh, likewise, Danny. Good to see you you too uh it would be a lot more fun did we ever figure out where we had a bar together in austin or was it dallas or vegas i can't remember but it was a good bar the last time we sat- a joke uh, one time <laughs> i think that was las vegas it was las vegas i, 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 I did see you in austin at the compass retreat yeah so for those of you not familiar with scott scott has done it all and seen it all in real estate he started out as an agent and became a top agent got into managing offices, and then started and launched his own brokerage, Gibson, grew that, scaled that, eventually uh, merged or got acquired by Compass. Uh, now he's a you know, managing partner, managing director at Compass. So we've seen all sides of it. So I'm really, really excited to get your take. We deal with, we talk to a lot of agents in the sales side of it. Uh, it'll be really interesting to get your take uh, from someone who's, who's seen both sides sort of holistically, the whole circle. But why don't we uh, start with, Tell us a little bit personal stuff, where you grew up, what your parents did, and uh, where you went to school, and then how you got into real estate. We'll start with that little intro. Uh, great. I'm, I'm not sure I've grown up just yet, but I'll, uh, my my youth was down in Palisbury Estates. And uh, my parents are, uh, my dad was a Native American, uh, Californian, and I was, uh, I'm a, also in a, a Native Californian. There's not many of us uh, around, so uh, I grew up in Palisbury's. Ended up graduating from uh, UCLA after going to Long Beach State and USC, and finally found a college that would give me a degree, <laughs> and went into real estate uh, right out of college uh, as a salesperson at that time with Harley Sandler. Oh, wow. Nick Sandler's dad. Uh, Excuse tremendously. Me. I said Nick Sandler's I, granddad, not Nick Sandler's dad. Doug Sandler's dad. <laughs> right. I've, I've been in the business before voicemail. <laughs> That's that's almost like trolleys. Pay phones, <laughs> you know, pay phones with nickels. Pay phones, right? On vacation, calling for the pay phone to find so, out my messages. Let me guess, knowing you and going to USC, <laughs> UCLA, Long Beach, why well, you didn't try Pepperdine, Fullerton. Uh, and let me guess, you, you'd liked, you like to have fun and party a little bit, maybe? You didn't well, I was supposed to go to one that? university originally on a, a baseball scholarship and decided to go to Long Beach State and uh, was a walk-on basketball player there for their team with Jerry Tarkini and then transferred from there to USC to play uh, basketball there as a walk-on and moved to UCLA to play baseball 
with Gary Adams, uh, which they wouldn't let me, the Pac-8 at that time, wouldn't let me because they said I had moved around too many schools. I would have had to wait uh, I, a couple I did not, years. I did not know this history of, of you. Uh, I know Gary Adams well. He recruited me in high school. I ended up at SC, Irvine and then SC, but uh, Gary Adams was a local legend and Dave Ravitz, my best buddy, played for him, and so I knew him very well. But I didn't know you were—I uh, didn't know you were a big baller growing up. So anyway, so you went through college, played some sports, were an athlete, local kid, and you went right into real estate for the Sandler right. Company. Harley knew Harley Sandler, who's uh, another legendary uh, real estate family, and Doug Doug Sandler is just an incredible mentor of mine and a wonderful manager and a special guy himself. And Nick is killing it too. So tell us about those days. What was it like starting in real estate then with pay phones, no computers? Definitely no. Uh, it was a lot more fun in a lot of ways. Let me tell you. Uh, I mean, today's environment is so fast. Uh, and I don't have to tell anybody that compared to back then. That's when you could take a vacation and really have a vacation. Um, but b- back then, you know, things, uh, I got into the real estate business in 78, 79, 80, high interest rates. We, we hit. Uh, kind of a very similar situation, unfortunately, building right now in our business where inflation uh, zoomed up and uh, the Fed ended up tightening dramatically and ended up selling houses uh, with interest rates at 16% and 17% and doing land contracts and uh, AI wraparound mortgages and anything I could do uh, to make a sale, you know, and, and, and to find somebody that would buy, of course. So, is uh, it was a really tough environment, but I learned a lot then, and I it was my most successful year in '82. And I, uh, for whatever reasons, once I got into real estate, I had always wanted to go into management. And uh, I'm kind of a team guy, and I played on some very successful teams in my uh, my life uh, from little league on up through high school. Won a lot of championships on some great teams, and uh, just in my blood to create a team and build culture. So I went into management. Actually, uh, my first management job was uh, in Marine Del Rey in 1984 with uh, Fred Sands. Wow. So you were a young guy in your 20s. That's what sounds like you were super young and you're getting into management. I was. Wow. So Fred Sands. So you went from Harley Newman legend to Fred Sands, another legend. And you're a young manager in the Marina Del Rey in the 80s. Man, were the Lakers, Showtime Lakers hanging out in the Marina then? (laughs) <laughs> well, you know, the marina was uh, a very quiet place down there. There's lots of open ground, and it was used to be the vacation spot for people from Beverly Hills. Yeah. yeah. Kind of like the equivalent of, of Santa Barbara today, probably, uh, that way. That was before they developed uh, the mall streets the, on the canals. It was only right. on the beach. They just had the beach side. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, you could have purchased those lots down there for, you know, seventy dollars to $100,000. Don't remind me. My dad... Got, could have bought one for fifty, and uh, he had he was living on voyage then <laughs> on the yeah. beach. He could have bought a couple for fifty, and he was like, "This is a swamp. What is anyone buying here?" Wonderful, thanks, Dad. So, so I went from Fred Sands to uh, end up managing his Brentwood office, and then I bought a company called Kent Realtors down in Westchester. Uh, we had uh, we ended up with about a hundred and I don't know one hundred and fifty agents. We had a number one market share in Westchester. Opened an office in Marine Del Rey. And a little one in Santa Monica, and ended up selling to Prudential California Realty at that time. And then uh, from there, Prudential merged uh, with John Douglas Company uh, at that time. And uh, then I uh, submitted my name to become a regional, became a regional for 
the Prudential Douglas Company, and then they ended up selling, I believe it was 1996, to uh, Sendant at that time to become Coal Banker. And you were at Coldwell. And then I was at Coldwell. And uh, managed, uh, actually became a regional and ran west of four or five down to Santa Barbara, up to, from Santa Barbara down to Newport Beach. And uh, then ended up becoming president of LA with 61 offices and, coal, and you know, in the heyday of Coal Banker, I would say. At that yeah. point, we had 43% market share in LA and uh, was we're doing about $20 billion in sales in, in my operating company. So uh, pretty gigantic thing and moved back east to New Jersey for the company. Ascendant ended up having eight operating companies from uh, Maine down to Palm Beach including the Hamptons in New York City, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Massachusetts, um, New Hampshire. So it was a very interesting time. So I was there about three years, came back. Where were you back east exactly? I lived in Precipone. Our head, headquarters uh, uh, was, <laughs> was in Precipone. Actually, I lived in Mountain Lakes. In where is that? New Jersey. New Jersey? It was beautiful. It's New Jersey or where is that? Yeah, New Jersey. Yeah. Wow. So you went to an L.A., Southern California kid, ends up back east. Yeah, I was their experiment. Yeah. So <laughs> That's for sure. You've, sp- I, you know, you've spent most of your career then in the management and leadership and ownership side. I didn't realize so young that you started management, which yeah. is really hard to do as a young. Goes uh, and issues and conflicts. Imagine you've seen some, some really things to say the least yes i have <laughs> <laughs> the uh prudential douglas uh between jack douglas and and uh lupi and then the prudential side where it was probably the most interesting but yeah you know fred sands was another interesting guy and and uh those were the icons of our day and and certainly paved the way for today's businesses yeah absolutely i mean jack douglas you get you don't get any more legendary and iconic than that i've heard so many stories through him i know the family and his kids i'm friends yep. with and just incredible times in real estate and la it really was establishing la as a you know global city that was the beginning of it really being huge and they were played such a role in it those guys like fred sands and jack douglas and all these people yep. you're, you're referring to so this this is who you grew up with in the business uh, you ended up being at the top at the time top company Coldwell Banker, which is a massive operation. Uh, so very corporate as well. Um, so why don't you talk me through? Uh, well, we'll keep going. Let's keep going with York because you then restarted and started Gibson. You're you know. So- I did. I, I uh, for whatever reasons, you know, my back east stint was uh, very rewarding in a lot of ways. Um, I had uh, three different brands I was running there and, and had a number of projects that I had implemented back there, but decided that I'd been away from LA for such a time that, that I had wanted to go back and I, I saw an opportunity or thought I saw an opportunity. So I opened uh, Gibson in 2008 from scratch, left, uh, left New Jersey in 2007 when I was on a one-year non-national non-compete and then opened up in 2008 um, with a great group of people in Brentwood. So let's unpack that because that's a huge move. You've been at these massive corporations running. I don't know how many agents at, at the Coal Banker were you overseeing? I mean, well, I had uh, thousands, I imagine. I had, uh, I think it was 27,000 agents, I think, uh, yeah. in my so group. Just a few people, just a few problems. 
So you go from that. Well, I had I had seven presidents, so they oh, I understand. It's not it up to me, so it wasn't like an individual. But yeah, I had to sign off every quarter for the uh, that nobody was doing anything illegal for the uh, Surveyance Oxley because it's a publicly traded company. So you start over, come to L.A. back home. Who did you start with? Was it with Pat Heller? Was it who was the Pat group? Heller? I uh, brought Helen Pat in uh, as my manager and partner in Brentwood. She had been at Cold Banker, had known her for a long time. A fantastic my manager now. She's, she's another legend in the business. Incredible. Fantastic uh, leader and, um, you know, has so many great attributes. And uh, it was a great start. We had uh, a really pretty good start until the crash. Uh, really, that's the only way I can characterize them. You know, I'd planned for recession, but I hadn't really planned for that recession. Great recession. No one was the, the great that. recession. I don't know what was so great about it, but it, it was uh, it was awful. So I, th- I think uh, Lehman Brothers uh, was uh, was just a one example of what I remember back then. And, and of course, my bank uh, uh, that IndyMac back was my bank and they uh, went out of business. So it was a very difficult time. I had fantastic people, though. My agents stood behind me. We managed to get through that. And in 2015, I brought Pacific Union in as a partner. Uh, and Pacific Union, uh, you know, as you may or may not remember, they ended up purchasing John Arrow and Partners Trust. And uh, we were running Gibson uh, separate as Gibson. And they were converting Pacific Union, uh, those entities over to Pacific Union. And that would have been in 2017, I think. or Yeah. 2017, thereabouts. So at that point, uh, Mark McLaughlin, who was the president of Pacific Union, approached me and said he'd been approached by Compass. You know, if he did something, I would have to do something because it was a package deal for them. So we went back to New York and spent a couple of days with Robert and the group back there. Very, very impressive. Then even become more impressive today. And, uh, you know, the, the decision was for us to move forward and kind of the rest is history there. We went through that transition in 2018 and, and now we finally have now all come into one under Compass. And so talk to us. There's a lot to, that I'll go back to, but talk to us now your role today. Now that you're at Compass, it's you were merged five years ago or so. And now what is your role? Um, you know, I'm I'm a managing director. I, really, my role is I'm still running what I sold, uh, Compass, uh, the Gibson operation, basically, and added a few more offices. I have six offices now, about 385 sales associates there. Um, you know, it, it's west of four or five. Um, the other piece of the puzzle that was sold was my escrow company, which was Vicente Escrow, which became Chartwell, which was Holly Hanks and in uh, in group, which is a fantastic escrow. So I'm I'm running that and assisting the company any way I can. Yeah. All right. So I got to go back to 2007 or eight, starting Gibson. Now, when you start your own company, I mean, we all talk about at a certain point, we get to a, a level and as an agent, we want to think about starting a company, bringing a broker. We all talk about it. Very few people actually have the balls to do it. And then those that have the balls to do it, very few are able to have the capacity and grit and savvy to to execute and make it work. And then to make it execute and make it work through the worst recession of our lifetime, um, that's 
un- unbelievable. So you had one office to start with, I imagine. A, t- I just, a typical That's brokerage right. office in Brentwood. Uh, I don't know how many people were involved in the beginning. Is it 20 people, 50 people? I mean, it's one off. Well, you know, I, I learned a lot from when I had Kent Realtors because I went through a very difficult time there. That was in 1993 uh, when I sold that. And, and 91, 92 were uh, very tough years. The Gulf War started back then. So, you know, it, I learned painfully many lessons uh, running Kent. So I was able to apply those lessons uh, to starting Gibson and keeping it going. I tell you that the most important lesson, and I'd say that for anybody that's going into businesses, you have to be 100% committed. You can't just put a toe in the water. And it's it was all in for me. It was all in uh, mentally and physically. Cashed out everything I had because the recession that time uh, uh, made me do it. But once you're there, you're there. I had a, a 10,000 square feet in Brentwood. And, uh, you know, things change. It's like a, you can plan all you want, but you have to be adaptable to the changes in the environment that you don't have control over. As long as you have the tenacity and the great people around you to support, you can get through it. So that's a really key point right there. You went all in and not only did you go all in, you put your money where your mouth is. And it was sounds like I assume like most businesses survival mode when you're going all in with your personal uh, finances to support a company through a recession. That's a lot of stress and a lot of sleepless nights. Uh, you know, I'd like to dig into some of these other lessons and uh, tell me a little bit about the types of agents that you thought were able to flourish even in those times. I know we all took a beating, but there were some that were able to figure out how to eke out deals. And, uh, you know, like you were figuring out how to survive as a new company. Uh, the, any any sort of key personality traits or things that you can share about what it took for those agents to get through that and to come through the other side? Yeah, I, you know, I think first and foremost, uh, every one of those agents that came in to us at that time were experienced agents. But more than that, they had been uh, working in the business in a way that they, they were so consistent. They, they, they worked every day and they, they prospected every day. They, uh, they stayed on it. You know, they were able to persevere. And the reality is, is that the, those people that treat it like a job, is, we don't want to hear that maybe, but you really have to get up every morning and go to work. And, you know, you, you, can't, you can't kind of lo- roll in at 11 o'clock. I mean, I didn't really become a successful sales agent until I decided uh, or discovered that I had to treat it like a job. And even if I had nothing to do at nine o'clock in the morning, in the office, I was there. I was around other agents. I start. I'd prospect. I I would find something to do back then, and I think that that's true today. I think you have to have a structure into your your uh, work work day, and uh, you have to stay with it. They were thick and thin, and I think you, even though your direct actions don't bring you direct business, I think just the energy that you put out will bring you business from other directions that you sometimes don't expect. I. I- Totally agree, and I think that is a lost, a lost concept. That like we are the brand, we are the company, and everything you're doing at every moment, even if it isn't direct pitch to get a sale closed, everything we're doing could lead. Always have to be open and available and ready and energized. And uh, I think what I hear you saying is. You got to show up like this is real world. This is real business. You can't not show up 
and go all in and expect to be elite in a very competitive business. It's just you're fooling yourself. You can't. You just can't. Los Angeles is the major leagues, um, residential real estate in the United States. And whatever they say in New York certainly is uh, a major league area, but it's not like Los Angeles. It's not the same type of competition. Um, You know, people come in and think that we're vicious here. Uh, No, we're just very, very competitive. And you really have to attack it just that way. You, you have to be able to rise to that level. I don't know if you saw that recent stat, but you're probably well aware of it just from being in the business. But I got this stat that 90% of real estate agents get out of the business within five years. As the, the article that came out that just said we had the most people join the real estate business in the last two years than ever. But overall, 90% are, are gone. So you got 100,000 agents join, 90,000 are gone in five years. I don't know how many more are gone after that. But as you know, and I know, even out of that 10% left, out of that 10%, only 10% of that pile is really doing consistent business and taking it serious like a business. And uh, I think not, there's not too many people that succeeded at a high level that I've seen by accident that haven't put in their their time and take it serious. Yeah. Well, there's a lot at stake. You know, even more telling statistic around that is only one in about 12 to 14 people as new licensees are around by the second year, at the end of the second year. So when you take that number about five years, it's even a much higher attrition than you know. And generally people come into the business with the uh, misconception that all they have to do is meet people and, and uh, they'll make a sale and they can make a, an easy hundred or 200,000 and they'll be fine. You know, maybe I only need to do one or two deals a year. Uh, it just doesn't work that way. It's way too competitive. Uh, and, you know, our clients in Los Angeles and the West Side are way more sophisticated, generally speaking, than a lot of other areas. So, and we're dealing with a much larger assets for these people, no matter how wealthy they may be they certainly have a respect for their own assets and they don't want to entrust them to someone that they don't feel that they can trust to handle their affairs the correct way. So as an agent, you have to be at the top of your game. Well, talk us through that. Talk us through some of the, the things that you've seen agents do well, either whether it's qualities, whether it's specific agents that you've uh, respected through the years, anything that you can sort of partake as like, hey, newer agents or someone growing your business, this, this is the sort of thing that, you need to do or think like to succeed? Like what would be some of your, your thoughts, your advice, your, you know, agents that are really have a love for the business, uh, you know, that, and that love has to include staying up on what's going on. You have to know your inventory. You have to know your pricing, but more than that, you have to stay educated. You have to, you should, you should go to seminars that you can, whatever you can do to improve your knowledge of the business and keep increasing your energy and stay on top of things is important. Now, you certainly have to have a positive attitude. And those agents that have negative attitudes, uh, you know, they don't, they don't last very long. Agents that don't get along with other agents and don't understand the value of their reputation, while there's probably a few out there that we still, re, uh, are, we still don't feel like they have the reputation we want to work with sometimes, I think in general that the best agents, the most successful through the years are the ones that uh, garner the, the highest reputation in doing business with. And I think that's critical 
you need to have a, a positive relationship with your fellow agents. That's huge. And I, I think that's critical, especially to newer agents, agents that have come in the business in the last decade. A lot of them have come into the business based on what they've seen on TV and the TV agents, and it's really not a realistic portrayal. And a lot of that is those TV entertainment. You mean laying on your couch and doing a $20 million deal yeah. while you're in your pajamas? Yeah, with your... You know, I, I cringe at those shows, let me tell you. It, it's cringeworthy for those of us that have grinded out and built real businesses. But a huge amount of agents that have gotten the business, that's what they knew about being real estate agents. And they don't realize, no, like what you just said, relationships with other agents, that may be the most important thing you ever do. That's who you're going to be doing business with over and over again for decades. And uh, if you don't get that concept and build trust and treat people right, I mean, that it's going to hurt you and whatever clients you think you're going to be representing. And I think another really important uh, characteristic is writing your goals down. Uh, generally, what I find is most of my top uh, agents that I work with have written goals, you know, whether it's personal, professional, and, and whether or not they look at them every day or they look at them at the end of the year. And that's been a key a key piece of my success is I write my goals down every year. Um, I have a huge list of goals I wrote down many, many years ago. I revisit that and I work on things every year. But I think writing them down is gives you an exponential chance of success or succeeding in those goals. You're hitting on all the fundamentals. I love it. You know, writing your goals down. Century. Yeah, it's not rocket science. It's easy, but hard to act to do, right? And what is it? You know, it's right. simple concepts. You know, have goals, be positive, take care of your body and mind, have good relationships, learn as much as you can. All, the basics, but why is that so difficult for, for people to do? It's hard to, to execute. You know, uh, one, one agent, Charles Pence, I can tell you, he can tell you exactly based on the amount of people he talks to daily, how many listings he's going to get that month. He's got it down to that kind of a science. And he knows if he doesn't talk to that amount of people, then he's going to get this amount of listings. So he can actually gauge his business, how much business he wants to do by the amount of people he sits down and talks to. So that, you know, that group there who has been working so consistently north of Montana for so many years. Uh, and again, that didn't just happen overnight. I get people who want to farm an area. I said, well, if you're willing to commit to five years at minimum, and you have to have a monetary commitment and a physical commitment and a mental commitment to that area. It's, it'll take you three to five years to start generating consistent, meaningful business. But you're, you're not going to just go in with it, again, a toe in the water. And if you don't get any results in six months, you give up. And that's really what happens for a lot of agents. They don't get results in six months when they're new and they give up. Sometimes because it's a mental challenge, but sometimes they can't afford it. How many years this is a... This is a loaded question, but how many years would you expect someone to have to grind it out full time, focus before they start having a consistent business? I know it's different for everybody, but if you were going to say, "Hey, this is the this is the blueprint. This is what I'd ex- be prepared for," what would you say from all you've seen? You know, it's, I think it's got to be. It used to be five years. I think it's five to seven years. I think is where I would go. Uh, and if you get to the seventh year and and, and then you're really able to accelerate between seven and 10, I think. And you get to 10 years and you should have a significant base. Uh, and those agents that maintain a, 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 a strong CRM is another characteristic, uh, whatever that is. 
but just mailing is not a CRM. You, you've got, you really should have a database that you're accumulating and upgrading and adding to every day, every week, every month, every year. By that 10th year, you should have five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten thousand people in that database that you can access in a, in a meaningful way. And you're going to generate business. You start to generate referrals. Probably by the fifth year, you're starting to generate a consistent amount of referrals, a few a year. I think the other piece is agents that that network with agents and, and other areas generate a lot of business from referrals. So again, going back to your, your agent relationships, make sure you go off to the Compass Retreats or whatever you're going to. Take advantage of those opportunities to meet agents from other areas, other states, because you can generate business out of that too. Yeah, I've seen so many good agents generate. I think Larry Young has done that consistently his whole career. He's a great example. He's a great example of one of the best agents there ever yep. was and one of the best relationship guys. Just straightforward, sincere, authentic, treats everybody honestly and equally and you know consi- but puts in so much work building relationships. And I think he's been at the same company thirty years, goes to all the thing and you know, people around the country refer him deals. Now that's the yep. that's the prototype case and that you know that's a legendary, you know, Michael Jordan example. But we could all do that in our simple ways by joining whatever seminars and company retreats and networking when you go out of town with other agents. I, even if you get one deal every year or two, that's a big that's a big That's boost. absolutely true. That's a big boost. And it goes both ways. It enables you to also refer out. So I do have a lot of agents. I've seen a lot of agents generate some substantial money around referrals. And I, when I think about consistency of action going back, you know, Ron Wynn is one of those guys, too. Oh He's still God. door knocking. He door knocks my house, Ron Wynn. He, he, I mean, he might be, have been in the business longer than I have been in. And of course, he, he grew up in the business. And, you know, he's, he's I think last year, he was 67th on the, on the real trends list uh, out, of, out of the thousand. So and I don't know that know, anybody's making more money than Ron Wynn, regardless of what the charts say. That guy owns real estate everywhere. But he, you know, <laughs> he's he door knocking has, in my house. He has a passion for the business. He loves the business. He, so passionate. He's not even in it for the money. He's in it for the business. Oh, he's so, so competitive, so passionate. And very much so. Diligent he's a great studies. example of, of someone that, that has persevered through so many things and, and grown tremendously in the business. Yeah, I mean, the names that you're bringing up here, and I'm, I'm sure all incredible names. For anyone who doesn't know any of these names, you should look them up. You should follow them and, you know, try to learn. But Ron Wynn, you know, what a work ethic. A guy that's door, he's the highest, the highest part of the business for 30, 40 years, 50 years. Absolutely. And he's door knocking still, door knocking, still hitting. He is. Still learning, still growing, still prospecting, just competitive. Mamba mentality for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Love yeah. it. All right. Well, this we could talk on and on for we hours could. about stories. We may have to do a part two and part three and bring on Ron Wynn and Larry and some of these people. Oh, he'd love that. Charles he'd Pence. I mean, Charles Pence, Hawthorne, Silver. I mean, come on. I mean, these guys are so consistent year after year after year for decades. It's you know, it's amazing to, to hear these things. When I think about some of these people versus some of the hot shot names that have come up quick, it, it's such a different animal. But um, yeah, hey, it's God, very different. Very different. Any other parting uh, words of advice or wisdom that you want to drop? The stage is yours. You've you've already, uh, you know, school has been in session and we could go on for hours. But anything else you want to add about where you see the business going? We are in a new sort of unknown transition time here as we're in May of 2022. Interest rates now at 5%. 
not 16%, but you know, what's your take on what's going on? Someone who's seen it, seen every market, where are you, what's your crystal ball telling you? So I, I think the market's already changed. We just don't know it yet. Um, I don't think interest rates are going to go up to 16. You know, everything moves so much quicker. That, I mean, it's good news and bad news around that. I mean, back uh, when, even in 2008, you know, that recession didn't just happen overnight. It started in 2007 and, and matured, if you will, into 2009. Uh, I think that we're already probably in a recession. We've already had one negative quarter of GDP. If we have another negative quarter in GDP, we, we may already be in a recession. We just don't know it yet. I think the Fed uh, is trying to equalize inflation uh, with interest rates. So as inflation, you know, it's still a tremendous time to buy even at 5% because inflation's at 8 you're borrowing free money. It's, it's negative. So the Fed's, Fed's goal is to bring those things into equilibrium at some point, and that can be painful. So it's going to be really a product of uh, how strong inflation is. And I would say my last thing is, is that you just have to get your head around the change. And you, you can't worry about the change, but you have to move into the change and don't fight the change. So we're definitely in a seller's market right now. I'd call it irrational exuberance uh, with the type of sales I'm seeing yeah. right now. Uh, but I believe that we're, we're going to start to move in and closer to buyer's market, certainly by fall, uh, late summer, early fall. Uh, and that could be okay, too. I mean, it might be good to have a little bit of balance in our marketplace, certainly uh, for buyers and sellers. I think by the end of the year, it's also possible that we could see the height of interest rates, and that would be very quick, really, in the scheme of things. But really, the way things move now, and, and I don't know, the Fed, everybody's waiting for the Fed to come out with their interest rate rise right now of a half point and to talk about what they might do going forward. But you might see interest rates peak by the first quarter next year. And then there, there might be at some point, because there's a lot of pressure for our economy to grow. You can't grow as interest rates continue to rise. So it's really a kind of mixed bag right now. I think we're in between changing tides. Very point and very well said. And I, I would bet that uh, Ron Wynn and Larry Young and Charles Pence and others, that they're not going to be uh, afraid of the change. They're going to be pivoting and figuring out and doing the- It'll be an opportunity. Opportunity. And it'll be an opportunity for our company too. Because uh, you'll you'll start to see those, and I know there's a lot of pressure on agents out there now. I know there's a lot of agents that are struggling right now because of the lack of inventory, and they're not making money. So I feel badly about that, and it's going to be a tough transition. Yeah, but hopefully when we get through that transition and it equals out, it will create more transaction, more people able to transact, and hopefully that's good. It may be painful for short term, right. but we got to be open and you know nimble and ready to pivot and and. Go all in on what we need to do when that happens. I mean, that's just the world we're in. Just work your have a plan, work your plan, stay consistent, stay positive, and be strong. Be all in. Be strong. Well, I love it. Scott Gibson, thank you for uh, dropping knowledge on the deal. It's always good to hang with you. We'll uh, we'll take this offline. We'll get cocktails and dinner soon and okay. chat more. But uh, I love it. Thanks, man. Thanks for spending time Thanks, with Danny. us.